Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Friday, October 1st, 2021. As a college student on spring break once, I got to stand on the shore of the Red Sea. And I had a reason to believe that I was going to be able to get through the Red Sea. Not because I was expecting anything miraculous, but because I had a ticket for a boat to take me to the other side. Now, when you think about standing on the shore of really any body of water, whether it's a sea or an ocean or even a river, if you want to get to the other side, you really are leaning on, I've got some kind of boat or there is a bridge or the water is low enough that I can walk through, that you, there has to be some way to get across. But if there's no boat, if there is no bridge, if the water is deep, you usually look at a body of water as, well, then that, that's a problem. I cannot get through that. Now imagine that not only do you have a body of water in front of you, imagine that you have an army behind you trying to capture you. And as we think about this, we're reminded of the situation of the Israelites in Exodus. And we've heard the story so many times. We've seen the theatrical presentations. We know that God parts the Red Sea, but I think sometimes we forget the predicament that they were in. We forget how hopeless the situation must have seemed in the moment. There is no way to get through a sea without a boat or a a bridge or something. But where there was no way, God made a way. And that's what I want us to think about today, both as we think about just uh, the miraculous nature of the crossing of the Red Sea, but also just what God has done for us in our salvation and the hope that we can have in God. Let's start in Psalm 114 this morning, as it speaks of what God has done. It says, When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams and the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back? O mountains, that you skip like rams? O hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. And so there we see how God made a way. And it speaks, think of the sea, the Red Sea, parting the Jordan River and the miracle that God did there to get the people of Israel across. It speaks also of water coming from a rock. Just all the things that God did in the wilderness to provide for his people. How he made a way where there was no way. There's no way to get through the sea. Um, There's no way to get um, a, a huge number of people through the desert over 40 years without the miraculous provision of food and water, but God made a way where there was no way. And this is the kind of God that we serve. 
And that's where these things that were written in the Old Testament are written for us and our encouragement. And we're going to see, I think these should help us as we think about salvation, but also just as we think about our lives. I, I don't want to take this idea and just apply it to all your hopes and dreams. God will make a way for your hopes and dreams. I think we do a lot of that in American Christianity, where we take the Bible and make it all about us. But I think as we seek to faithfully live the Christian life and serve our Lord uh, and fulfill the Great Commission, there will be times where it feels like there is no way. And God, I still believe, can make a way where there is no way for his people uh, to do what he has called them to do. But we see just this is the nature of God as we move on to Isaiah 42 to 43. And here, remember, Isaiah, the big themes are judgment and salvation. And it kind of alternates between the two. And in this second part, really from chapter 40 on, we get probably a greater dose of salvation, but we still see just how serious uh, God is. And he will call out the people in our reading today, but we will also see just who God is. And we're also reminded of the way that he made as we're reminded of his servant. In chapter 42, starting in verse one, it speaks of his servant. And we see this ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Christ, speaking of the Messiah. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands wait for his law. And so that ultimately referring to Christ, we see God has made a way for us to be saved through the Savior, through this servant, Jesus Christ. Uh, But then we also get a sense of just what God has done when he says in verse six, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell them, I tell you of them. So there, again, the images of God opening the eyes of the blind, God bringing out the prisoners from the dungeon. These are things that get us back to that picture of God making a way where there is no way. There's no way out of blindness. There's no way out of prison, but God has made a way. And there's so much just great statements that we should worship God for in these passages in Isaiah, where he says, I am the Lord. I will not give my glory to another or in chapter 43, where he says, I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no other savior in verse 11. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And I am God. Uh, there we, we see God proclaiming just his own glory and his own uniqueness. I love chapter 44, where he says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And there we we see these amazing statements about God. And it should affect us. As it says in chapter 44, verse 8, Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. 
Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Uh, And so there uh, we see that in light of who God is, in light of what he has done, we should not be afraid and we should put our trust in him. And that's where chapter 44, we again see God calling, uh, just rebuking people for the folly of idolatry. This picture of I cut down a tree I use half of the wood to make fire to cook myself dinner, and I take the other half and I bow down to it as a god? What's up with that? How does that make sense? But we see that God, though, is going to redeem Israel, even from, from judgment. And we're gonna, that, that's just an amazing thing uh, that I hope we pick up on in Isaiah, where we see this majestic God, and we see the sin of the people. And we should think, well, it's over for them. They are finished. They are done. But God makes a way. And even the story is not done for the people of Israel. God will keep his promises to them. And we see God's glory and his grace and his provision, uh, even just in how he treats uh, the people of Israel and Judah throughout all of this. And I think there's things we can learn for that ourselves. Now, we also see God making a way as we go now to Hebrews chapter 9. And here we're reminded God has made a way for us to be saved. And we need to take that way, we're reminded. So in this passage, in verses 15 through 28, it talks about how Christ has done, really purified in the heavenly places, what was signified in these earthly symbols. It says in verse 23, thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So he has made a way through the sacrifice of himself. And that's our hope to be cleansed from sin. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. And so there, uh, we see not only is there this way, we need to take this way. Because even as we see judgment and salvation in Isaiah, we see judgment and salvation really here in Hebrews. We're going to die once and after that face the judgment. Are you ready for that judgment? God has made a way through Jesus Christ for us to be saved. Have you taken that way? Have you put your faith in Christ is the only hope that you have to be saved from your sin. So I hope we're encouraged. God made a way for Israel uh, through the Red Sea. God has made a way for us through Jesus Christ for us to be saved. And I think if we trust him and we have faith in him and we, as we seek to live for him, when it feels like there's no way for us to serve God or, or follow God, he will make a way. And we need to take that way and put our faith in Christ and follow him fearlessly. Well, as we wrap up today, let's look at Luke 23, verses 1 through 12. And as we look at these uh, verses, um, 
as we see what's going on here, you see some very unlikely partnerships. You see Pilate and Herod getting along. And that's interesting because it even says they had not been friends. They had been at enmity with each other in verse 12. But you see these people, I guess in some ways you can see they're not taking the way out. Each of them have their own political reasons for why they are going along with this charade of prosecuting Jesus and ultimately him being crucified. And Pilate, it seems, well, he doesn't want to get into the complication or be accused before Caesar of this guy that claims to be King Herod. It seems he wants a show. He wants to see Jesus do some sign. But neither one is really willing to say, no, this is the king and this is the savior that I need. And so it's a sad story that we read today about the failure of politicians to do what they should do. And maybe that encourages us when politicians fail. God is still in control. And even throughout all of this, God's plan was being accomplished. But today, as we consider all that we've read, I hope you're encouraged that you serve a God who has made a way for us. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.